Whoever wishes to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And be seated. We've been spending some time in the book of James for the past few weeks. Uh, I remind us that when we do so, we do not just see a list of moral platitudes or quick self-help quips. Um, but rather, James wrote to a particular people who were facing trials and hardships due to their embrace of the message of Christ. Because of their newfound faith in Christ, they found themselves living in extremely countercultural ways. And James encourages them not only to remain steadfast, living a countercultural lifestyle, but he also gives them further instructions on how to live in unity with one another as Christians as they live against the grain of the surrounding culture. I think all this is with the hope of actually transforming their culture from one destined for death to one called to new life in the teachings of Jesus. In our reading today, James here sets up this stark contrast between the friend of the world who is the enemy of God and conversely the friend of God who is the enemy of the world. This contrast, I think, naturally leads us to ask, which side are we on? Whose friend are we going to be? Who are we and what is our identity? In late 2018, December 2018, just a few months after I first started coming here to All Souls, uh, I asked Father Andrew Unger, our former associate rector, if he'd go out for tea with me. And I was kind of curious to get a bit of an insider perspective on this place that I had been worshiping at for a few years with my family and that we were joining. Uh, so in the midst of our conversation, I, I said something like, I'm not super into like corporate speak or anything, but does All Souls have like a, a mission, vision, or value statement or anything that I should know about? I didn't see anything on the website. Father Andrew kind of chuckled and leaned back in his seat and said, well, we have this painting in the narthex. Now, if you look back there, maybe you kind of forget this from time to time. Maybe we're a bit desensitized to this if you've been coming here for a while. But let me be clear. The largest, most prominent freestanding painting in this church building is not of the Blessed Virgin or of Jesus, the Apostles. It's not even the footprints in the sand poem or anything weird like that. Rather, it's a painting of a camel on a lawn, a couple camels on a suburban lawn, with two suburbanites turning up their noses at this site. Now, with all due respect, that's kind of weird. I mean, I've been in a lot of church buildings before, seen a lot of church art. I've never seen anything quite like that. Now, here's not the part of the sermon where I tear it down and like ridicule it, because in fact, in fact, I found what, what Father Andrews said, his ex exposition of the painting, I found it to be rather beautiful. And what he described was, I have no idea if this is the authorized interpretation, so it might just be Father Andrews' interpretation that he passed on to me that I like, so I'm going to use it. We describe it like this, all souls, like the camels, are to be something of an anomaly in the suburbs, a, a unique oddity that doesn't quite belong in these western reaches of Chicagoland, a strange outpost for the kingdom of God among track homes and strip malls and suburban sprawl. Now, that's not really a mission statement, but I think it does have potential for being a beautiful vision for this parish, one that places us at enmity with the world because of our friendship with God. 
Now, let's fill it out a bit more. I mean, a, a fair amount of us in this parish, myself included, work or, or, or study at the, uh, the evangelical superstructure that includes such places as Wheaton College and Christianity Today and my own Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. Uh, you know, the Wheaton, Carroll Stream, Danvers sort of axis probably only rivals like Grand Rapids and Colorado Springs as potential capitals of evangelicalism. But we have to remember that those of us who work in that world, that most people in Wheaton, Winfield, Carroll Stream, Glen Ellen, West Chicago, etc., don't spend Monday through Friday working in religiously saturated environments. Rather, most people in our communities are living the suburban life. They're commuting into the loop for work, or they're teaching in the schools, they're running small businesses, or they're, they're serving as police and firefighters, doctors, etc., etc. And it's in the midst of this busy American suburban life that there is a place where people come together every single week to study scripture, to sing, to receive the body and blood of Christ, to love and support one another. And that's a profoundly strange thing to do. But that painting calls all souls to be this, a strange place. James talks in his letter about the world. This is the, the culture that's marked by selfishness, pride, greed, competitiveness, self-centeredness. It's the me first, me last, me only kind of culture that in my mind as aptly describes the first century Mediterranean as it does 21st century North America. And so in sharp distinction from the world is the way of life taught by God incarnate, Jesus Christ. This is a way of life marked by self-sacrifice, forgiveness, compassion, love, and submission to God. As James put it starkly, friendship with the world is enmity with God. And I think the, the, the inverse of this is true as well. To be a friend of God is to be an enemy of the world. And like those camels on the lawn, a, a Christian life well-lived, a Christian community lived according to biblical teachings, to the world should stink. To the rat race, to the, the winner-take-all lifestyle, to the culture of greed and accumulation in which we find ourselves, all souls all soul should be like a putrid scent. But to those who are in need, to the broken-hearted, to the broken-bodied, to the least, the last, and the lost, all souls should be a sweet-smelling aroma of the grace of God. Now how? How, how can all souls be friends with God and enemies with the world so as to live out this vocation as a camel on the lawn. I think there are lots of ways that All Souls has done and continues to do this. So let me just sketch a few of the values I've noticed in these past three years that I hope to encourage to continue. So first, All Souls has always and continues to be very intentional about its liturgies, about its worship. I mean, for me, a well-thought-through, well-executed liturgy is a most freeing spiritual experience. Maybe it's due to some combination of my personality or past experiences, but I don't really like being in a worship space where someone's like making it up as they go along, or they just made it up on Saturday night. We Anglicans have a rich, rich tradition of 500 years of liturgical refinement, which itself is built on a previous 1,500 years of liturgical expression. All Souls' liturgies are guided by the prayer book tradition. And I think this conveys a particular value, which is a, a humility, 
uh, a submission to something greater, a submission to something bigger and older than all of us, through which we can be but this small outpost of this grand Christian tradition. Secondly, I find All Souls to be serious about its aesthetics. We have had and continue to have wonderful artists who work in various media, including our musicians who express their talents and, and love for God in and through our communal worship. And if I might, it's not just the choir who take music seriously, although they do, and they greatly enrich our worship, and I'm so glad we've been bringing the choir back for our 11 o'clock service. But it seems to me that it's not just the choir, it's the whole parish that values music as a key way of worshiping God. Another story from when I was newly here. Actually, the first day, my first time showing up here, um, uh, summer of 2018, I sort of snuck in through the, the door back there, not wearing a collar, and kind of snuck in off to the side because I wasn't quite sure where to go in, in, in the building. And as the opening processional hymn began, I was struck by, by the beauty, uh, the proficiency, the various parts that were being sung, the vigor of the singing. And so I started to look around for a professional choir. I was expecting some large choir to come processing down the center aisle, but they didn't. Uh, then I started looking behind me for a choir loft, but there isn't one. Trying to find a, a transept off to the side where they were hiding this choir. And then, and then it dawned on me, this, this beautiful singing wasn't coming from some professional choir. It was coming from the pews. It was coming from you all. It was coming from a full congregation that loved to sing hymns and sang them with a, a passion and a beauty of any professional choir. Against the world, aesthetic beauty in various forms communicates our friendship with God. It communicates the beauty of God, the beauty of the gospel, and our gratitude for all that we have received from God. And thirdly, not finally, but we can, one can only have three points in a sermon, right? A third value I see in All Souls that makes it a strange place and makes it stink to the world is the manner in which All Souls cares for the community, most especially shown in how it strives to care for those most vulnerable in the community. So under this heading, we have three ways too. So these are subpoints, not actual points. But three ways also that All Souls does this. So, so first, I've been struck with our participation in the Emanuel Food Pantry. Maybe you forget, but there's like a box out there at the stairs every single week where you can deposit food. And All Souls has long contributed food and staffing to this initiative to help those who are vulnerable to hunger. Second's been our work with Exodus World Service, which helps in refugee resettlement. All Souls, again, has long contributed tangible items, like we'll have a sign-up sheet, and you can just drop off these various things. We're also gone and connect with these refugees who are being resettled in our area. Just yesterday, a team from All Souls participated in a run-walk fundraiser for refugee kids. And if I'm not mistaken, I think the All Souls team brought in the most money of any, of any team in that fundraiser. And thirdly, all Souls strives to care for its children. This has been especially challenging during the COVID era, and we're still working on returning to normal children's programming. But it's clearly a value of this parish, a strange oddity that we feel that children have relationships with God right now. Not like one day, not like once they get confirmed or once they get on to college. Right now, these kids have relationships with God that we have the privilege to encourage and foster and, and fertilize. In fact, our kids are so important to us, we actually welcome them into the community of the church through the sacrament of baptism. That's what took place at the 9 o'clock service earlier. 
uh, little Theo Beyer was baptized today, not just so that one day down the road he can become a Christian, but this very day, by the power and ministry of the Holy Spirit, through the waters of baptism, his faith was nourished and fostered in whatever tiny four-month-old fashion it can be. There are lots of ways that all souls can live into its vocation of being those camels on the lawn, but our intentional liturgies, our aesthetic appreciation, and our care for the vulnerable are three hallmarks that I personally want to see continue and grow. But if I might, this passage here from James is not only an encouragement and an exhortation to strive for a unique way of being against the world, but it also includes a warning. As might be obvious, it's a short and slippery slope from thinking that one is unique to thinking that one's pretty darn special to having the full-blown pride and selfish ambition, as James puts it in the first part of our reading. There he says, where there is envy and selfish ambition, there will also be disorder and wickedness of every kind. A problem with thinking that All Souls is a unique and anomalous place is that we start to believe it too much. The problem then is to start to compare ourselves, compare ourselves to uh, that place across the marsh or that Bible church whose name doesn't even reflect the city it's located in or any other ecclesial community in the area. All Souls has been humbled by the past couple of years, humbled into realizing that our uniqueness is no prevention to instances of disorder and wickedness, as James put it. But my hope is that through our being humbled, there can be growth. I hope that it's in the manner that James describes, that in our humility, we can receive, as he puts it, wisdom from above that is pure, peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without trace of partiality or hypocrisy. These, I think, are virtues that God is calling all souls to embrace as we continue to live, our, live out into our somewhat anomalous and unique friendship with God in these western suburbs. Amen.